Hi there. This is Christopher Green from York University in Toronto, Canada. In the past, I did a series called This Week in the History of Psychology, which we uh, affectionately know knew by its uh, acronym, TwitHop. And now I want to do a new podcast series where we just do five-minute reviews of important articles from the recent literature in the history of psychology. And we want to call it TwitHop Shorts. So this is our first episode. The article I'd like to talk about today is entitled Little Albert, a Neurologically Impaired Child. It was authored by A.J. Fridland, H.P. Beck, W.D. Goldie, and G. Irons. It is already available online at APA's Psych Articles, and it will soon be published in the journal History of Psychology. In 1920, the founder of the school of psychology known as behaviorism, John B. Watson, and his assistant, Rosalie Rayner, conditioned a new fear response in a toddler who was codenamed Albert B., though he is often today known as Little Albert. They did this by banging a steel bar every time he approached a rabbit or various other arbitrary animals and objects. The report of that experiment, published in 1920, became a foundational document of the behaviorist revolution in the mid-20th century. The question of what became of Albert B. after the famous experiment has long mystified historians of psychology. In 2009, a psychologist named Hall Beck at Appalachian State University and two of his colleagues examined archival records at Johns Hopkins University and other places and claimed to have discovered Albert B.'s true identity. They believed it was one Douglas Merritt, the illegitimate child of a wet nurse working at the Johns Hopkins University Hospital at the time. Following up on what had become of Merritt, they found that the child had died of hydrocephalus just five years later. According to the records of Merritt's death, his hydrocephaly had been contracted long after Watson's experiment, possibly after uh, he was exposed to meningitis in his family home. Now, in 2012, a new team, again including Hall Beck, has claimed that the boy, Merritt, was not, in fact, the normal and healthy child that Watson and Rayner claimed. Instead, his hydrocephalus was present at birth, meaning he was probably neurologically impaired and intellectually disabled at the time of Watson and Rayner's original 1920 study. This raises questions about the generalizability of the results Watson obtained, and it raises new questions about the ethics of the experimental procedure itself. After seeing the 2009 article, tentatively identifying Albert B. as Douglas Merritt, a clinical psychologist at the University of California, Santa Barbara, named Alan J. Fridland, looked at the film Watson had produced of his experiment and noticed that Albert B. appeared far less responsive to objects, animals, and people than babies typically are at the age of 11 months. Although the film is silent, Albert appeared to use almost no verbal language either. Watson had described the child as being stolid, but Fridland wondered whether he were neurologically compromised in some way. He took the film to a pediatric neurologist at UCLA and the University of Southern California named William D. Goldie, and without telling him who the film featured, asked him what he made of the child portrayed. Goldie independently noticed Albert's lack of social awareness, as well as some underdeveloped bodily movements that are typically characteristic of children much younger than Albert was at the time. They contacted Hallbeck, the lead author of the original study, and told him of their findings. 
Soliciting the help of Douglas Merritt's nephew, Gary Irons, who had been a co-author on the original 2009 article as well, the team was able to locate Merritt's infant medical records from Johns Hopkins University's Harriet Lane Home for Invalid Children. It turned out that, contrary to the information that had been available for the 2009 article, Merritt had suffered from hydrocephaly and a host of other debilitating conditions from the first months of his life. At the time of the Watson and Rayner experiment, his health had stabilized somewhat, but he was no healthy or normal infant. He was neurologically impaired. Information from Merritt's family confirmed that he was never able to walk during his short life and that he had little expressive language, though he was able to make some of his desires known through gestures and the like. He may have even suffered from significant visual impairment. If the identification of Merritt with Albert B. is correct, all of this calls the Watson and Rayner experiment into question on a number of levels. Was Merritt so cognitively impaired that both his natural and conditioned reactions to people, animals, and objects were atypical of a child his age? And was he even able to see clearly the objects that were placed before him? Perhaps more disturbing, how much did Watson know of Merritt's medical condition and his various impairments? And presuming he knew something about them, why did he describe Albert as normal and healthy in the published report? And what are the ethical implications, even nearly a hundred years ago, of his subjecting a child in such a state to the stresses of his fear-conditioning procedure? These are questions that will no doubt be debated by historians of psychology in the coming months and years. Perhaps you can discuss them with some of your own colleagues, teachers, and students as well. For Twithop Shorts, this is Christopher Green. 